This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about sea urchin. Yes. You know we love these sea oh, creature episodes. Weird sea creatures are so weird. They're great. I know. I was telling Lauren before this, a lot of times with these, I'm like, I'm just going to wait and see what Lauren has to say about this because I'm so, I'll see terms. I'm like, oh, I got to know more, but I'm going to wait. Um, so I'm very excited as well. Uh, was there any particular reason this was on your mind? Uh, this was kind of with that batch of, uh, of of things that I was feeling really ambitious about. I was mm. like, you know, like like what is a like like a like a protein was kind of up in the rotation, and uh, we had never done sea urchin because I had never suggested it because it they're real strange, and I was like, that's going to be a lot of work. Um, and listener, it was. Uh, in fact, like, like right before we started, I was like, do you want to do like a short, uh, side episode about just sea urchin science that I didn't have time to work into this outline because there's a lot of it. And I said very enthusiastically, yes, yeah, uh, of course, yeah, <laughs> possibly for a different show. Cause I, it doesn't have a lot to do with them as a food source for humans, but you know. Still, still pretty it's hard cool. to resist. It's hard to resist. So cool. I do love sea urchin, although I have to say, I don't know that I quite realized that I had it because I, I usually see it as uni. Oh, um, sure. Uh huh. And I, so when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh-huh. But yes, I do enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, Lauren and I also were talking about this, and we were discussing how terrifying they look. They um, do. Uh-huh. Yes. And I was saying that I have had an experience where I was scuba diving. There was a shark near me, 
but I was more afraid <laughs> of the sea urchins because I was pretty sure that shark was a gray nurse shark, and I know a lot about gray nurse sharks, and you're fine. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. M- most sharks in general want nothing to do with human people. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you're really sloshing around like a food source of theirs, mm-hmm. their sharks are the puppos of the sea. Like, for the most part, you're 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 fine. You could go up and hug them if you really wanted to. I don't necessarily recommend that, but yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, I, I I froze. I was just floating above the sea urchins like, don't move a muscle. <laughs> I, I mean, they don't want this. <laughs> they weren't going to come after you. Yes. Uh, it was just like, sure. they were close enough. Close I was enough. afraid if I moved too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be pretty for me. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Uh, when we were snorkeling out in Hawaii, uh yeah, we we I definitely saw some in one of the tide pools that we were in and yeah, I had very much the same reaction cuz I did not have gloves or anything on and so I was kind of like, "Oh, oh hey buddy. Hey, I want nothing to do with you. I would like you to continue doing whatever you're doing and I would like to do something very far away from that." Like that. Yeah. Just go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and yet and yet some human somewhere at one point saw them and were like, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what's in there and if I can eat it and if it would be so delicious. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. Um, I will say I have very limited experience eating sea urchin. Uh, they, I, I, I had like a bad experience with a piece of one once um, in, in a sushi kind of situation and was put off from it. It was very funky. I think it had gone off a little bit. Um, mm. But uh but then I, but I, but so I was reticent to try it again in, in case that was just how they all are. But mm-hmm. yeah, but then I had another one at a very good restaurant and it was delicious. So yeah, A plus yeah. Would, tr- would eat again. <laughs> Excellent news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, you can definitely see our past um, episodes we've done on sea creatures. Some are related than others, but I would say generally check them out. Um yeah. Yeah, but I guess that brings us to our question. Who it does. Sea urchins. What are they? Well, uh, sea urchin meat is the gonad of male or female animals from a number of marine species of invertebrates that are easily identified by their sort of globe shape that has a lot of spiky spines coming up off of it. <laughs> uh Oh, that's a whole sentence. I love it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, the meat is really beautiful, um, often bright orange-yellow, like like school bus yellow. Um, each piece will be just a couple inches long and like an inch or so wide, maybe three to six centimeters. The texture and taste can vary a little bit, but you're basically looking at like a briny, creamy, melty, slightly sweet, funky little bite. It is often eaten raw, as in a sashimi or nigiri sushi, um, or as almost like a garnish for pasta or rice dishes. It's been called the foie gras of the sea. Um, it is just a shockingly tender and, and delicious thing for coming from something that so clearly does not want to be picked up and eaten. Uh, <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a danger chrysanthemum that contains these five little bites of just creamy ocean foam. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like it's the... The definition of your kind of outwardly spiky character that has <laughs> oh, the soft, the inside. softest, sweetest yeah. little, just little nibbling, little inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to break past their spikes. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Oh, oh my goodness. Um, there, there are several hundred known species of sea urchin uh, within the class kind of idiot, uh, which encompasses two subclasses and just a whole bunch of orders and genuses and species. Uh, they are marine animals and different species inhabit every ocean on the planet from tropical to polar at all kinds of different depths. They live on the seafloor, um, and their, their mouths are on the underside of their bodies, and they scrape up bits of algae or seaweed or really anything that moves slow enough for them to get their mouth on. Different types have all kinds of different bodies and lifestyles, really fascinating and weird and beautiful. Um, they're related to other echinoderms, um, like the sea cucumber, the starfish, and sand dollars. But we are ostensibly a food show. Uh, mm -hmm. Of all of those varieties, we tend to eat ones from cooler waters, which are less likely to be venomous. Yay. Um, yes. And uh, specifically, ones that are commonly called the purple sea urchin, the red sea urchin, and the green sea urchin for pretty top-down obvious color coding purposes. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there are among those uh, two different genuses and uh, then within one, yeah, two different species. But I'm not going to say the names of them because I don't feel like doing that today. I already have one Latin word and that's that's all you get. That's, so that's enough. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, so because they are from, from different species, uh, I'm going to make some generalizations here, but all have this sort of a spherical skeletal shell um, made of calcium carbonate. Um, and, and the shell is called a test. And I love that terminology. That's just great. Um, <laughs> the test has these little openings all over from which the sea urchin's tube feet can reach out and help propel it slowly wherever it wants to go. Um, and then a large opening on the underside for the mouth. Um, if you've ever seen a sand dollar skeleton, uh, a, sea urchin, a sea urchin's test looks like a puffy version of that, okay? Um, <laughs> now, okay, within, within the mouth, um, its jaw is in this configuration commonly called Aristotle's lantern. This, this has these five triangular teeth that come together in a sort of beak-like five-sided pyramid. Yes, this is another thing that looks like a sarlacc. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's actually really clever for, for grasping and grinding food. Um, so that's on the underside. Uh, then on, on the outside, the test is covered with a layer of skin and muscles, which hold on to the animal's many movable spines, um, which also can help it uh, uh, boop around the ocean floor. Um, and these spines are often brightly colored, and they come off it just at all angles and uh, discourage predators. Although we are not the only ones who enjoy eating it. Um, other things like lobsters and sea otters like it too. The anus of the creature is at the top of the shell, and then along the uh, inner upper of the test, uh, the, the animal's reproductive organs, or, or gonads, are sitting in, in these sort of little sacks, uh, five of them arranged in a star shape. You may have noticed that there were five teeth. There's also five gonads. Sea urchins have five-fold symmetry, similar to how we have two-fold or bisymmetry. Yeah. Uh, and, okay, like, if you look at a cross-section of a sea urchin, um, it looks shockingly like 
the interior of the TARDIS that they introduced for the 21st century remount of Doctor Who, like the ninth and 10th Doctor. Um, so much so that I, I would be very surprised if that were not a design influence. Um, except the TARDIS, that TARDIS was hex-based. These are five pen, penta, penta-based, yeah. Other than oh. that, pretty close. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> Now I won't be able to see it. I'm sure. Oh. Yeah. Look up, <laughs> look up photos or, or illustrations. It's really, it's really cool. Um, but okay, all right. Uh, back, back to the gonads. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so the gonads are the only particularly fleshy bit within the sea urchin. They also help store nutrients to keep the animals going during lean times. But when there is a good supply of food, uh, usually during the warm spring and summer months, sea urchins build up their gonads in preparation to spawn during the colder months. But if you catch them before they use all that potential energy to fuel the creation and, and release of eggs or sperm, the gonads will be large and fleshy and high quality and can account for up to a quarter of the urchin's total weight. Wow. Uh, so yeah, at which point they may be harvested and kept chilled for immediate market. This means that fresh sea urchin is a seasonal product. In the northern hemisphere, it's available like late summer to early to midwinter, de depending on the specific species. When buying, look for bright color and like a defined bumpy surface. Um, if they look dull or a little bit gooey, they may be past their prime. Enthusiasts do get really into those local varieties, um, like the same way that people talk about the terroir of wine or the flavor of like acorn-fed pork products. Um, people talk about sea urchin from Hokkaido having this really special flavor from the particular kombu that it eats. Oh yeah, there's a lot of different varieties. Uh, they can be golden yellow to deep orange in color and range from like creamier when they're harvested earlier in the season to almost grainy kind of when they're harvested later. People like different things. And yet, sea urchin aren't really farmed. I read that about 99% are harvested wild um, by either drags, which are these kind of um, almost like chainmail bags, but large, um, that you just sort of scrape along the seafloor to collect the urchins, or harvested by hand by divers. There are hatcheries working to provide environments to protect young sea urchin until they're large enough to avoid predation by, by most animals which usually takes like a couple years. It can be about five years uh, from birth before a sea urchin is considered large enough to be marketable. Or hatching, I should say. They don't really, they're not really, it's not a birthed kind of, kind of animal. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, partially because of all of this, uh, they can be pricey. Though they are so like rich and flavorful that a little bit goes a long way. Like you're probably not looking to consume more than a few pieces, even when you are cooking with them. Um, speaking of, yes, a sea urchin is very popular in Japan as a sushi item, whereupon it is known as uni. Um, and uh, usually eaten raw, either by itself or maybe with some sushi rice, maybe a little bit of garnish on there. Other seaside cultures also eat them simply raw. You can also use them themselves as a kind of garnish on warm dishes like risotto or eggs or spread on toast, maybe. Um, they can also add a complex zing to like creamy, bright pasta sauces, either blended or whole, um, adding them at the end of cooking and like just heating them through. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sounds so good. I've only added in sushi. <laughs> so oof. Yeah, yeah. I was reading um as per the usual, J. Kenji Lopez Alt, uh, writing for Serious Eats has like a really good basic guide to sea urchin pasta sauces. So I recommend looking that up. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Well, what about the nutrition? By themselves, sea urchin is pretty good for you. Like a nice punch of protein and good fats, smattering of micronutrients. Eat a vegetable. Yes. Always. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, we do have some numbers for you. We do, uh, because uh, sea urchin can be expensive. It's typically like 5 to 10 bucks per ounce, which is not cheap, uh, no. but can be like 2 bucks per gram which is like three hundredths of an ounce, um, like 0.002 pounds for $2. <sighs> I hate converting these things, <laughs> I have to say. I'm the one in the grocery store that's like, I don't know why this is in court. <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is now, this is, I don't, anyway. <laughs> I feel It's you. expensive. Yes, it's, it's expensive, yes. Uh. Yes, um, according to one source that I found, 80% of sea urchin consumption takes place in Japan. That was as of 2017, so that might have shifted a tiny bit, but I suspect it's still pretty much that thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a sea urchin festival in the south of France every March, for which some 20,000 sea urchins are harvested. Um, And apparently for like five euro, you can get like a glass of white wine and a plate of raw sea urchin with baguette and butter. Sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, heck. Um, Yeah, there's also a sea urchin festival um, in June that I think just started last year in California. Um, Yeah, yeah. Listeners, let us know. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is also a sea urchin science center and gallery in Australia, uh, in the lower Blue Mountains, not at all near the sea. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it's run by the world's preeminent sea urchin taxonomist, um, and opened in 2018. He sounds like a fascinating dude. Uh, like he got invited out to the research center in Antarctica to study the sea urchins there. I yeah, and this is just his personal collection. He was like, I this is cool. Do you guys think it's cool? Do you want to see the did you do you want to see my sea urchin collection? Cool. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to know more about that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um and uh one last number for you. Uh some some species, like the red sea urchin, which we eat, uh, can live over 50 years. Um, and research has found specimens that were over 200 years old. Dang. Yeah. All right, sea urchins. Yeah. Well, they are quite old <laughs> as a species as, as well. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And we will get into the history after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. 
Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so yes, if you are talking about the family that sea urchins are a part of, the fossil record indicates they go back a stunningly long time. Mm -hmm. Like, impossible to comprehend (laughs) for my brain long. Mm -hmm. Um, Sea urchins probably evolved. 450 million years ago, so a long time. So a minute, yeah. Uh, Yeah. The the ones, the species that we know today evolved from that older group a little more recently, um, like sometime in the Triassic period, you know, just just only 200 to 250 million years ago. So, so, mere mere babes (laughs) in the woods. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aristotle described sea urchins in the 4th century BCE which is where we got the term Aristotle's lantern for its mouth bits. Um, However, interestingly, research in Greece from like the 20 aughts showed that he was probably referring, when he he said lantern, he was probably referring to the entire skeleton or, or test, you know, not just the mouth bits. Because they, they, they found they, they totally had similarly perforated lamps around that time. So, oh. yeah. Yeah. Aristotle's Lantern is such a cool name. That is a right? item D&D or it something is. like it. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, now it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, coastal areas like Peru, Korea, Greece, and Italy have a long history of fishing and harvesting sea urchins. Um, and I would like to come back to this because we've actually talked about this a couple of times. But yeah. for centuries, women scuba divers, they actually free dive um, mm-hmm. in Korea, trained to... Yes, free dive and harvest these creatures with knives, which is not easy, can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's usually older women. Um, yeah, yeah. It's actually yeah. a really interesting history. Sure, because it's based on breath support and really developing the uh, the musculature, the, the training to do that kind of breath support is wild. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, etymology note. Okay, the word urchin in English comes from the French, which comes from a Latin word for hedgehog, which itself comes from an old pie, a Proto-Indo-European root meaning to bristle, from which we also get the word horror, um, as in bristle with fear. Um, But okay, okay. In English, uh, the term urchin was applied to all sorts of bristly beings during the 1500s, including goblins, people with hunched backs, 
grubby-looking kids in general, and bad girls in particular. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> sea urchin for the animal entered the written record in the 1590s, uh, so, so around the same time, indicating that, that English speakers were familiar with them around then. Um, and it was around the time of this urchin expansion that English speakers seemed to agree to call hedgehogs hedgehogs instead of virgins. I don't know what the transfer was. Yeah. Um, uh, although I, I, I should also note, because of course I looked into it, um, street urchin was not popularized, although it had come about during this time, it wasn't popularized until like Victorian England. Oh, because I was I was wondering about that. I was like, that's yeah. my experience with that term, and I wonder. Yeah, or like or like a little bit before, like a like like the seventeen nineties ish. I I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, urchin expansion again sounds like a <laughs> card game where you're buying the expansion pack. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, I want the urchin expansion. Yes, I bet it's hard. <sighs> I bet it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Basically, from what I read, I couldn't find a lot of specifics, but again, coastal areas where sea urchins were available, people were probably yep. eating them, found mm-hmm. a way to harvest them. Mm-hmm. Some sources I read suggest that for a while, sea urchins were largely used as bait in Japan until about the 19th century okay. when sushi chefs started using it after they realized it was a great complement to sushi rice. Um at first, only select regions in the country offered it, and it was considered a local specialty. When Japanese cuisine started to really take hold globally in the mid-1900s, unisushi got more popularity worldwide. It did take time, depending mm-hmm. on the area, but that was yeah. when it started to be like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the 1800s, some Japanese Americans living in California formed fishing villages, especially near Monterey, and they foraged for sea urchins off the coast. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they were also apparently harvested in Newfoundland in the 1800s, where they further apparently had the nickname Whore's Eggs. <laughs> oh, my. Yep. Yep. Okay. So All many right. etymology notes in this one. You're welcome. I love it. <laughs> I, thank you. Um, <laughs> When Sicilian immigrants arrived in New York in the early 20th century, they started a demand for sea urchin, which led to the harvesting of sea urchins in Maine uh, that were then shipped to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more on that later. Salvador Dali uh, was a big fan of them, uh, so much so that he started a 1930 short film where he explained how to eat them. I had to look huh. this up because I was like, wait, what? What? <laughs> yeah, you can still watch it. Cool. Yep. And in his book, 50 Secrets of Magic Craftsmanship, he wrote, To begin with, you will eat three dozen sea urchins gathered on one of the last two days that precede the full moon, choosing only those whose star is coral red and discarding the yellow ones, which have, according to him, quote, sedative and narcotic virtues so special and so proprietous to your approaching slumber. So basically, thank you, Nap. Um, and you don't want that if you're trying to make something. No, sure. Yeah, 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 no. yeah. Uh, uh, the, the star that he's referring to is, uh, okay, usually when you when you crack open a sea urchin to consume it, um, you often use either a, a, a knife or like a special uh, kind of kind of pinchy scissor thing that um, that just cuts off the the top 
of the sea urchin where the gonads are attached to that top of the of the skeletal system um mm-hmm. and then just kind of kind of open it up like a like a like a skull like a human skull you know um oh, and uh, and then on the inside um th- those those five gonads form a little star on the inside of that cap so Ah, that's yes. that's what he's referring to. Okay, I got mm-hmm. you. Wow. Well, there is a lot of horror imagery in this one, I've got to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, in 1967, Dolly finished a painting called Sea Urchin. Yes. So Cool. Big fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the 1970s, Japanese seafood traders reached out to those in the U.S. that might help them supplement their supply in Japan. They are basically like, we would like more of these. Can you get them? Mm-hmm. Divers in California and Maine who were willing to take the risk, including shark attacks, mm-hmm, uh, could make a lot of money. At one point in the 1990s, they could earn up to $2,500 of sea urchins in a week. Yes, and the sea urchin harvest in Maine saw a massive rise from about 1987 to 1992. The value of their the market went from about $50,000 to $15 million in 1990. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, or, or by 1990, yeah, from yes. like, yeah, over the course of just a couple of years um, because they had been previously producing this relatively small amount for these local markets like Sicilian immigrants to, to the New Yorkish area. So they'd been they'd been harvesting maybe like forty five metric tons a year, and then that jumped in the same short period to over fifteen thousand metric tons, um, wow. which unfortunately led to a marked decrease in the sea urchin population, like a ninety percent decrease. Um, and so that is where you get these sustainability efforts happening to try to protect the the young population until it can help repopulate the the area. Right. Yeah. Also, the Nobel Prize for Medicine uh, was awarded to three scientists in 2001, quote, for their discoveries of key regulators of the cell cycle, uh, and that's from the Nobel Prize website, that they came to by observing sea urchins. Yes. Yeah. I very <laughs> briefly, right before we started recording, tried to figure out what that means, and I don't know. Um, so, may- so, so maybe science episode, science mini yes. in the future. Yeah, yeah, we'll find out. Because, because so. <laughs> I do know that sea urchins are pretty widely used uh, to to study stuff. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I don't remember why. So there you go. Um, <laughs> what I do know about is the internet. Uh, so okay, uh, sea urchin hit another spike of more like mainstream popularity around 2016, which I strongly suspect is due to what researchers of the future shall surely call the Instagram effect. Um, you know, they they look real pretty and weird, and <laughs> so there you go. Um, and that was combined with a surge of interest in like new foods, although, of course, people had been eating them forever. Um, Right. Mm -hmm. And speaking of internet influence, I do have to put in here, um, because of this thing that happened, like, early pandemic, um, yes, many sea urchins enjoy wearing hats. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or at the very least, will put on a hat if you give them one. Um, Okay. A lot of sea urchin species have this natural behavior of grabbing up um, shells or rocks or, like, branches of seaweed uh, with their weird little suction arms um, and then wearing them around as, like, a sort of camouflage to avoid predation um, and possibly in in 
areas in like tide pools that are nearer to the surface, uh, maybe to avoid sunburn. So if you, for example, 3D print a tiny sinkable cowboy hat and you leave it in a sea urchin's habitat, there's a decent chance it's going to pick it up and put it on its little sea urchin dome. <laughs> I need this in my life. It's, I didn't know I needed it so badly until you said it. It's very cute. I highly recommend Googling sea urchin hats. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Can you imagine if you, like, printed out a bunch of hats <laughs> and then we had, like, a sea urchin party? <laughs> Hat party? <laughs> I mean, this is this has pretty much occurred. I again. Oh my gosh! I, I really. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. You've done me a great service today. <laughs> I have like never wanted a, a marine, a saltwater aquarium as much as I did when when all of this started coming out on the internet. Um. <laughs> New character for old donut <laughs> <laughs> cartoon. <laughs> That is so good. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> trying to prevent sunburn. They're just being smart. They are. Don't get eaten. Don't get sunburned. Yeah, come on. Hat. Fashionable hat. That- <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. Um, well, <laughs> future research for me. <laughs> um, I did see a lot of stories that started circulating in 2023 about the, quote, moral imperative to eat sea urchin in certain places since they are invasive there. Um, for example, one story reported that off the coast of California, the sea urchin had devoured 90% of the bull kelp there, um, which is important to the local ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to the overfishing that we've seen in some areas like Maine and many parts of Japan, um, uh, the, the problem in California is that when the natural predators that usually keep sea urchins in check, when they decline in population, um, like like otters um, and, uh, and sea stars, which are cousins of sea urchins, um, those urchins will overpopulate and just totally take over. It's, you know, like, like you probably learned in elementary school, whenever there's an imbalance in the food chain, everything gets messed up. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, I know I've mentioned this game before, but I loved this, uh, magic school bus game I played in elementary school and it had this whole, we've got to keep the ecosystem in, in check and kelp was a big part of it. I had to make, oh, yeah. I had to manage the kelp. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, I had, it was an important job. No, it was really fun. <laughs> it was actually a really fun game, <laughs> but it's just, it was funny that I was like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. magic school bus. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ms. Frizzle. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, for sure, there is a, a plethora of things we could come back to with this one. Uh, oh, yeah. Might. Yeah. But I think that's what we have to say for now. I, I think it is. Uh, we uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Thank you, Spencer. Yes, thank you. And we're back with... Spiky on the outside. Soft on the inside. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, I love this. A couple people have written in about this. Okay, okay. Okay, I'm going to leave you in suspense. Um, (laughs) Melissa wrote... Just listened to the latest episode on mulled wine, and the aside about the Muppets Christmas Carol (laughs) reminded me (laughs) of a tweet that was recently circulating. Disney owns the rights to the Muppets, so why aren't they making Muppet versions of their classics instead of all these live-action remakes? (laughs) We need Muppets Beauty and the Beast, Muppet Pinocchio, all of it. I wish I could find the original tweet so I could credit the writer. However, the more attention this idea gets the more likely it is for someone at Disney to see the wisdom and create these obvious masterpieces. Oh, right? I mean, come on. Especially, right, especially Disney films where you have this interaction between humans and varied other characters. Um, Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that Cinderella herself could not be a Muppet, but like human Cinderella with a bunch of Muppets Mm -hmm. would be pretty aces. Yes. Yeah. you know. A la the, the Muppet Christmas Carol. We have Michael Caine playing it so seriously yeah. around these Muppets. It's it's just a fun dynamic. There's a lot of fun to be had there. Oh, my goodness. I think <sighs> this is a great idea. Um, <laughs> we could have more classics on our hands, uh, like <laughs> the Christmas Carol. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Hard agree. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, Heidi wrote, uh, first, I want to say thank you for all the enjoyment and knowledge you have brought to my life from the beginning of Savor. I'm currently a little behind on episodes, but always get excited when a new episode drops and I get to see what's coming my way. On the recent episode about Pizzelle, uh, you asked for more information about cookie tables. Oh, yes. Um, okay. As someone born and raised in the northwest corner of Pennsylvania, I had never heard about cookie tables nor seen one at a wedding until I got engaged while living in Pittsburgh. The greater number of Scandinavians over German, Polish, Italian, and Greek immigrants where I grew up, only two and a half hours north of Pittsburgh, meant the cookie table didn't develop into a thing. It was one thing my now spouse insisted on having at our wedding, even though we got married in northwest Pennsylvania. My family was a little surprised by the table, but loved the table 
and the to-go bags, which all good cookie tables must include. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to be a consensus, I'll say. Oh. Um, Yes. That is beautiful. Love this because we we've said before it's so fun when we learn about like very localized uh things Mm -hmm. but i love that you were like only two and a half hours away and it was was it would still be on your can yeah (laughs) yeah that's so great that's wonderful right yes and um we have several more uh, messages (laughs) coming up about this that is it's fantastic and pictures that look like yes like banquet halls. I mean, just of cookies. It's yeah. it's amazing. Um, yeah. So thank you all for answering when <laughs> we were like, let us know more about it. Um, yes. 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 So much. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, and and if you and if you have anything if if you have anything to say about sea urchins. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Have you have you been diving for sea urchins? Do. Mm-hmm. Do you have a do you have a recipe that we should have? Did you make one a hat? Did have you made one a hat? <laughs> you have, we have to know. We you do. You have to let us know. We do. Um, please. Yes. <laughs> please. Um, thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us with answers to these very important questions, <laughs> you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! The Give me a woo! Roller coaster! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.